Today, we hear from Amma Gaffar, who is the director of the Manchester Fuel Cell Innovation Centre at MMU in Manchester. Amma has a 17-year career in sustainability and has big ambitions to use innovative hydrogen technology to solve one of the biggest challenges of our generation, climate change. In this episode, we hear from Amma about innovation at a regional level, climate innovation and fuel cell raves. Thank you. Enjoy. Uh, welcome to the show, Amma. Pleased to have you on board. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm, I'm really pleased to be here, James. So, you know, many thanks for the invite. So well, how we always kick off is ask, what does innovation mean to you and your organisation? Innovation, I think, well, I uh, run a fuel cell innovation centre. So innovation is in our name, but I work for a university, which is equally as, if not more innovative, because we, we look at so many different areas of well, the economy and um, the way we develop people is probably key to that that point. So innovation for me provides that opportunity for uh, being able to showcase the strengths of your university, for example, in, in, in the sense of where I'm coming at it from, but equally what we can do on our place-based agenda. So say, how can we contribute to the wider innovation ecosystem that we're working in? So we work in Manchester, so it's very much around um, Innovation is used to develop new products. It's used to effectively change the world. It's used to combat key issues such as climate change. Innovation is one of them words that gets does get you know, batted around quite a lot. Um, but effectively, what is what what specific parts of that innovation area we we focused on? Well, I'm specifically focused on that innovation area that is looking at technology to solve some key issues in the world. But then equally, it's around how innovation is supporting uh, businesses, it's supporting students, it's about supporting. So for me, innovation underpins pretty much everything, because if we're, that's one of the things that we're recognised for in the UK is being very innovative. You know, we, we're talking about the release uh, of so many different strategies and there's so many different areas of focus, which are around you know, trying to solve climate change and innovation underpins each of those areas for me. Okay, so you mentioned strategy there uh, on that, and obviously climate change is huge. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's the, one of the issues of, of, of our generation, probably. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned strategy there, and strategy, and from, from a strategy, strategic point of view, what, what is innovation? Okay, so you know, if, I, if I look at the, the organisation that I represent, so innovation underpins... Um, our organization because we're a university we're, we're recognized as being one of the greenest universities in the UK but all of that comes from various different strategies so we have um, a new road to 2030 strategy that is being developed we have a, um, a host of other strategies which have now thrown me but effectively what they're trying to showcase is these are our strengths and this is really those strategies highlight our roots to um what our contribution to climate change is, our ambition to be the greenest university in the UK again, our ambition to be a leading research-led university. So the area that we're in is very much around hydrogen and fuel cells and how do, what pillar does that really fit in? Well, it fits under the sustainability pillar quite easily, but I think it's taking that one step further to say, how does our strategy benefit us as an institution, but then equally us as a region, 
and then us as that national landscape of a, an academic institution that is doing great things to solve up that key issue of climate change. And if I'm looking across the spectrum of the university, there are a number of different areas which lend themselves to that. So the fuel cell centre I lead is one of them. Um, but then they're equally, our estate's performance is quite key to that as well. So we are a university that has uh, effectively built a lot of new buildings over the last 10 years since I've been there. And what has gone into those buildings is a lot of innovation. And I'd say that has pretty much been driven from the fact that we are the, we were the greenest university or we are one of the greenest universities in the UK. We have our own ambitions of achieving net zero carbon by 2038. So how do we effectively do that? But it comes from the top effectively to say, this is the strategy and the route that the university is following to decarbonize our region and help to meet the wider ambition of Greater Manchester to be net zero carbon by 2038. But then what does a center like ours effectively contribute towards that? Well, it contributes it on that innovation angle. So we're focused on key pieces of technology around hydrogen and fuel cells, which not, neither is new technology, but we're completely focused on that innovation angle. So all we're doing is improving the efficiencies of fuel cells and the components. We're working with some fantastic organizations that are allowing us to innovate our own area uh, of research even better because businesses are the ones really driving this agenda forward. And that's probably quite uh, unique in the UK in the sense that strategy that I was talking about, so the UK has now got a hydrogen strategy. It's the first ever hydrogen strategy. If that's not innovative, that's, I don't know what is. We're, we're, we're waiting for a, a whole host of other strategies to be released. There's a net zero strategy. There's a heat and building strategy. The net zero strategy basically has been driven by, and the hydrogen strategy has been driven by uh, industry to say, this is what we want. We are unsure if this is a technology area that our business can innovate in. So then all of a sudden that strategy has now come out and we're seeing lots and lots of businesses wanting to divest their portfolios into fuel cells and hydrogen because that supply side for them has finally uh, got in their mindset that this is, an, this is a technology area we want to innovate in because the government are backing it. So there's a strategy to back that up. That strategy comes with pounds and pence attached to it. But ultimately it's the private sector that will pay for most of this. And the only way they can do that is through a host of innovation and R&D programs. They need to look at this as an economy as opposed to launching their product onto the market. And I think that's what strategies can help to do. They can really help put people's mind at ease and allow for that confusion to disappear. Because without any strategy, I mean, I've been talking about hydrogen fuel cells in Manchester for 10 years. Now, all of a sudden, um, there is so much focus on this area, whereas 10 years ago there wasn't. We had the ambition 10 years ago. And in fact, this is probably lends itself to the organization I work for in the sense that we were innovative enough to think of the role of the future role of hydrogen fuel cells would become quite key um, as we move along the years. And I think if we weren't innovative minded and we didn't think like that, we wouldn't be where we are today. So the fact that we have, we have supported over 80 businesses, we are working with a lot many more businesses. So I'm putting our centre and the innovation that happens in our centre into various different boxes. We have a, a box which really looks at the R&D aspect. So that is working with those 80 and many, many other businesses that, is, that are looking at complete different uh, spectrums of innovation. But what else do they require? Well, they require uh, support on 
policy framework. So that's we've written a, a strategy for the region, which underpins a national strategy that's come out. So we wrote the hydrogen strategy for Greater Manchester, which really says to businesses, this is the opportunity for you as a business in Greater Manchester on this topic area. Now that we have a national strategy which you can bid into, this is what we can do within the within the region. But equally on this on the skills agenda, I think too many times over the years we've all seen this technology is kind of pushed upon us whether it's through legislation or whether it's just through uh, natural innovation or the natural ecosystem progressing now what hasn't happened in the past as well is we haven't thought about this truly as an economy so what do we really need as an economy and this is kind of bringing together a range of strategies in my mind um, so you've got various different net zero carbon strategies that are coming out you've got skills frameworks that are being developed you've got policy frameworks that are being developed around infrastructure and the role of heat and the role of transport it's about bringing all of them together and saying how do we effectively turn this into an economy so how can we maximize the investment that we've made within our fuel cell center as an example we can do that by making sure that research is not detached from deployment so that is quite key for me so it's making sure that when there is a deployment of a new technology like a, an electrolyzer which produces hydrogen in Greater Manchester that the research is attached to it so we know how that performs under operational conditions so we need that data that data is key to allow this to be replicated again and again and uh, the performance bettered as we develop it further more and more and then equally it's about bringing together um, all of those like-minded organizations that are now thinking What's my overarching theme here that I'm working towards? Ultimately, if you're a business, you're looking at your bottom line, you're thinking, how can I increase my profit? How can I increase my focus in, if, my, if I'm a business in low carbon environmental goods, as an example, then I'm going to be involved in some products that lend themselves to our uh, 2038 target, as an example. But what does that mean for my business when I, don't really understand what net zero means so i think yeah. it's bringing that commonality to everyone to say this is what we're all working towards there's never going to be a better light focused on this area the fact that we're in the uk we're hosting cop 26 this year so the light is saying we are very much key to this climate agenda being solved in greater manchester what we recognize for we're recognized for the fact that we've got this fantastic science asset base with all the universities we've got you know three major universities within the this the greater manchester area if not more now actually um but you know what are they doing towards achieving our 2038 target well our role is to work on hydrogen university of salford's role is an example to work on in built environment and then university of manchester will work on everything else in terms of the energy transition now greater manchester is quite unique in the sense they recognize those strengths so we have formed this new agency, which is called the Energy Innovation Agency. And that is really where we all work together. We all work with industry and we say to everyone wanting to affect their bottom line as a product, this is how you go through an energy transition. This is how we get to 2038. And this is how we as Greater Manchester can support your ambition. So if your interest is, your overall interest is net zero, but you only offer part of the solution to that, then you will work with the most suitable university but if your overall solution is a range of technologies then you can effectively work with all three and you can work in this ecosystem which is Greater Manchester you know this is one of the things 
you know, we were very much involved uh, and at the heart of creating the industrial revolution. So we've got some kind of responsibility to try and solve the emissions that we kind of put into the atmosphere. And I think we're doing it uh, well to the point where we have a science-based target which says we will get to a net zero carbon by 2038. Is it ambitious? Of course it is. Is it achievable? On our current trajectory, it's tough. Well, this is where we need to accelerate our activity very, very quickly. And we need to kind of get it to a point where we know what uh, technology areas we're going to focus on. We know what technology solutions we're going to put out there. What's the innovation within all this? The innovation is doing things uh, in a way that no one's doing so they can be replicated across the country. So that in a, in a broad nutshell sort of puts innovation in my mind because that's key to everything we do. In it, whether it's you know, the skills work, you've got to be innovative, more innovative than anyone else to try and combat the skills agenda because we, everyone's been talking about skills and everyone talks about skills as a token gesture towards a large infrastructure pipeline. Uh, um, but what do they effectively do about it? Nothing by sight. It will create thousands and thousands of jobs. But there's a lot of confusion on the types of technology that are going to get us there, the types of skills that are going to get us there, and equally, the academic institutions, the educational establishments and the skills providers all have a responsibility and they have a need to kind of all get together and say, this is how we will solve that problem. So we will be able to properly quantify with the range of infrastructure that is cited for the Northwest as an example, the skills that we will create. And this isn't about saying that the skills framework in the UK is obsolete. It's not, we're not starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. We've already got a lot of skills that will, that will remain. And equally, a lot of the role of what we're trying to do is about creating those upscaling opportunities for industries that are going to die off. So the petrochemical industry is an example oil and gas is going to change with the shifts in legislation around electricity and hydrogen vehicles becoming uh, the ones you are able to buy from 2030, heavy goods vehicles from 2040. All of these changes in legislation means that will we have a need for um, engineers who work on vehicles as they are today? We will still need engineers that work on vehicles. They will just be a different type of engineer in the fact they will require a different skill set. So as a university, are we then operating the right types of courses? We're probably, we're probably there or thereabouts, but equally, this allows us to fine tune that offering to the student and whether it's a university course or whether it's a, um, a DFE type um, framework, which is looking at um, the curriculum, mm -hmm. that needs to change. So I think one of the good things we've got is you give someone a certain topic, climate change is a key one, and you will see how everyone can kind of come together to try and solve it. And we've, we saw that in COVID, didn't we? We saw the fact that we set, the, obviously there was, a, there was a major agenda to solve uh, a global pandemic. And what did everyone do? What did the world do? The world reacted. Everyone came together and there was years of years of science that went into making the vaccine and deploying the vaccine within a very short period. But it wasn't developed within a year in the fact that there was years of science that went into developing that to launch it to the market very, very quickly because people were dying. And I think that's what we have to do for climate change. It's as serious an issue because it's been around for a lot, lot longer. People are dying because of poor air quality areas. They have been uh, living 
in areas of Greater Manchester even where air quality has been illegal for years. Now, you, how do we make this real to the masses? That's the, 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 true, the true aspect of innovation for me. Making it real makes it look like, and the best example I can give you is, what if, what do we buy a lot of in this country? We buy houses. <laughs> People have to live in houses. But if you were buying a house, as an example, um, and there was a for sale sign outside, but then there was a, uh, there was a box there saying, air quality is illegal in this area. It'd make you think twice about buying that house. Absolutely. It's a good so, point. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, we've got... It's bold, though, because then no one will be able to sell the house. Yeah, well, exactly. So that's, that's where um, we, it, will never, it probably won't happen. But what we can do and what is happening is there is recognition that, you know, air quality is poor, but climate change is happening. So why now are we talking about electrification of heat and electrification of transportation? When it's been electric vehicles, I mean, I remember the first electric vehicle I ever saw was when I was when I was a child, and that was a, a milk float. So the technology yeah, is definitely not new, there. is it? <laughs> it's been there. Hydrogen vehicles have been around for a long, long time. It's about the here and now means we're in this pandemic, and there is a a global consensus to try and solve it. This is what COP's really about. So mm. COP twenty six is really about all of these global leaders saying we made all of these commitments. Now it's in uh, which formed part of the Paris Agreement. And now we're kind of coming together at this critical stage to say, hey, this is definitely what we're going to do. And we're going to make that formal commitment from each of our countries to do it. Now, a lot of that is going to be on innovation to solve. A lot of that will be on behavior change to solve. A lot of that will be driven by policies and strategies to solve. Because you can write a policy, you can write a strategy. Is it going to solve the problem? unless people know or people who are making decisions, whether it's for an organization. Um, for, you know, if I give you an example, if I talk about Manchester Met, is who I work for, if we didn't have an executive group that recognized the role of climate change and what, it's, what we need to do for our, our climate, we wouldn't be the greenest university in the UK. We wouldn't, or we wouldn't be one of the greenest universities in the UK. We probably wouldn't have a fuel cell innovation center. We probably would, would be not working on the areas we're working on. But, Equally, you look at, you know, Greater Manchester as a region, there's some fantastic businesses, and I'd say Elevate's probably one, one of them ones, that really shine the light on the agenda well. Yeah. Now, that is probably one of the biggest problems because we can create technology, we can make it a little bit cheaper, we can start to mass manufacture it, and it will become cheaper. We saw it with wind, we saw it with solar PV, we need to do the same for hydrogen. I think it will probably happen, but until there's that shining light to sort of educate the masses, this is why we're doing it. Yeah. So to Joe Public, who runs a small business, telling them that there's a clean air zone being introduced in Manchester in a couple of years' time, that's going to affect your business, means that you have to change the type of vehicle that you drive. They're going to be a little bit annoyed if that's all the information you give them or that's all the support you give them. And it's probably happening now in their mindset. All they're seeing is this is just another way of taxation. We, we saw yesterday that road pricing was announced that they're going to try and tax us more on road pricing. Road pricing is, will probably likely increase because there's, there's various amounts of unknowns. And this is everything you have to consider in my mind. There's very amount of unknowns at the moment. 
with electrification of transport because we don't know where the tax effectively is going to be replaced from. Because at the moment you have an electric vehicle, there's no VAT on that tax. There's no VAT on you charging your vehicle. Same could be, we don't know what the role for hydrogen will be in that similar scenario, but I know and you know that when you go into a petrol station, you buy your fuel, there's quite a large amount, which is taxation. Now is road pricing gonna solve that problem? So it's that's not a decision for us, that's a decision for government. But what is a good opportunity, I'd say opportunity, but a good thing for everyone to kind of collectively do is shine the light on the problem. Yeah. So there's a problem there that there's, there's a lot of unknowns and that's where a lot of confusion occurs. Innovation will happen. For me, yeah. innovation happens all the time. And we live in this region that is, that has always been innovative. You know, it's recognized for being innovative. It's recognized for having some great strengths in certain key areas. But do you, if we had to pick up the phone to every single resident within Greater Manchester State, do you know what net zero means? I can almost guarantee you there will be a large response that comes back and says, no, I don't. No, I see I, it as I'd a problem. Agree. I'd agree with that. I mean, I, um, I had a conversation with a senior person in a business recently um, and talking about net zero specifically and mm. um, asked some questions of them and they came back and said, we don't honest, to, they were like, to be honest, James, we don't know anything about this. We don't even know about yeah. our blue bin kind of thing. No. Uh, and this is the senior leaders in, in a large organisation. Uh, so I'll not mention who that is. But, uh, <laughs> it, but know, what that, does that do, James? What does it do? What does that do? If they make it, if they're the people that are making investment decisions, what does that do? It means that it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen if, or they will make the wrong decision or they will end up costing yeah. the company more because well, they will have to do something. Yeah. Well, this is, the, this, is the, this is where I think this is where it gets interesting, though, is um, from an innovation point of view, like, I suppose the innovation is how do you communicate that to those people, to that group of people. Yeah. What's the innovation around that? There's an interesting yeah. thing there. Yeah. And I suppose the... The question I, I had a question that was you mentioned that so you're talking about um something bigger than a single organization here. You're talking global and you're talking regional stuff. So a big global problem and a region solving that problem. Now, yeah. how do you get the culture within the region to do that? So you mentioned 10 years ago, yeah, you started doing. Uh, yeah, uh, and that must have been risky and you, there must have been some you know big hurdles to jump over and there was probably points where you failed at certain stuff and learned from it and moved mm -hmm. on and points where you were really successful and you've got to this point now where everything's yeah. you know, aligned uh, as far as you as far as you know at the moment um yeah but how, how do you build that culture where you can get smes together who and they can come and talk to each other and innovate so presumably they sit down okay. and come up with ideas together i'm guessing um, yeah it, yes it, did you what did you call it it was the energy innovation agency was it called that? yeah so that's that's one example yeah um now but i think that happens there's a lot of examples of that that happened in our, in our region but i think cities and regions are key to solving climate change so if we look at what is the challenge of greater manchester getting to 2038 you know that's there's a number of organizations that already sit down within various different forums that are trying to solve that. 
me, they're not the problem. They're they're almost like uh, the educated in in this topic. It's the only educated that we need to kind of get to, and they're, they're the masses. So yeah. whether it's people making investments in, but equally, it's the people down to, you know, people like my mom or you know my friends who don't know anything about net zero technology or net what net zero means. But all of a sudden, they will have to change their mindset because net zero is being written into contractual obligations as an example because saying if you are bidding for a certain contract as a building firm as in uh, you know to give you because i've been approached by a number of building firms that saying i have to respond to a tender which has states that i have to achieve net zero within that site as an example or as, as near to net zero as possible but i don't know anything about net zero so that's about educating those types of organizations but equally there needs to be a in my mind, like a Greater Manchester-wide campaign that which we can be an exemplar for to say, what does net zero mean and what is the opportunity that net zero brings? So net zero means, you know, that we have to uh, get rid of all of that, all, all of our carbon. But what does that really look like? So that's when we get rid of that, all of the greenhouse gases where they can balance out uh, the greenhouse gas that we, we can remove from the atmosphere. So we became... The UK is a leader in this area anyway, because we became the first major country to set that net zero target of 2015, 2019. So this is where Greater Manchester went one step further and went, well, we'll do it by 2038 based on the research that was done at the Tyndall Centre. So what needs to be done now, in my mind, is that effectively is being done to a degree. It needs to be costed up. What is all that going to cost us? And then how do we do it? And then how do we educate the public? So getting a greater manchester wide campaign that says net zero means this the net zero economy looks like this what are the opportunities because again taking it back to businesses what does it mean for me as an individual in my business or me as a ceo of a business or me as a employee of that business what does that mean that's one angle what does it mean for me as a student working who's bothered about climate change and i want to work in an area because it's not all about the science it's about bringing all of those different aspects that from them you look at the problems with say hydrogen fuel cell technology not the problems who is involved in that sector you've got consultants you've got scientists you've got transport managers you've got uh, economists you've got psychologists you've got um, artists even who are looking to showcase and getting through to people what hydrogen effectively is and how it will solve our climate problems. So how do we bring all of those people together in key forums? And I think, you know, look at the, the there's an innovation one that Elevate do and Lona and, and, and the guys do really well with that because what that has brought is people together to discuss this topic. Now, I've had multiple conversations with many uh, attendees of that platform and it's to, to share that vision because there's there's certain things. This is such a key topic that it can't be retained and owned. It's not, this isn't, you know, the, the knowledge of net zero and the knowledge of climate change has got nothing to do with IP. This is about a different thing saying the common agenda here is we're all coming together to solve a problem. And that problem has been around for a long, long time. And it's not getting any better. We've seen it. You know, what people, I think, are a bit more aware of the, the situation now. You, we've seen the, the floods all over the world. We've seen the wildfires. We've seen that this is a real issue. And 
this is now that critical point where people are recognizing that if I don't do something about it, it's going to cost me more in my business because, for example, the government are legislating that you have to disclose your risk to climate change. It, it, it feels it's, like we're kind of scratching the surface on mm. solving that problem. Mm. Like it's such a, it's almost insurmountable, like the problem of climate change, yeah. net zero. Um, it, and like, because you've mentioned several things there, you said, you know, started looking at stuff 10 years ago and that's mm. come to a head. Well, it's not come to a head, it's come to a, a point now where yeah. you're getting loads of traction, um, you know, in helping other business, presumably you're getting SMEs involved in your, um, yeah, in, with the universities to yeah. innovate their uh, products and services. Uh, but it seems like something's missing. And I suppose, I'm assuming, well, it sounds a lot of that is communication and a lot of that is, and that, that then probably comes down mm. to leadership at all, you know, from government all the way down to business as well. Yeah. Um, what kind of things do you do kind of internally from a leadership point of view that enable people to understand what you're trying to achieve? Okay. So I think from, I think the fuel cell and hydrogen agenda has been helped in the fact that there's never been a more of a global focus on it. So that helps our scenario. But equally, 10 years ago, why did we open a fuel cell? Well, we didn't open it 10 years ago. We, we started the vision for our work in hydrogen fuel cells 10 years ago. We've, you know, the center that we opened in 2018, but it was built. So what is the core purpose of the university? How to teach students or we do research. So the core function that we built our center's ambitions around were the fact that we had great strengths in electrochemistry. We had great strengths in surface engineering. And we thought hydrogen fuel cells would be a great opportunity to increase those areas of research. And it did. Um, we recruited some fantastic individuals which helped really bring that all together which said we've got electrochemistry we've got surface engineering there's a transition we're going through we've got these hydrogen fuel cell chemists and um who are looking at how can they do that how can they do research for the university that helps our research ambitions because it, we're going past that point where proof of concept proof of concept early market testing is the right thing or we're just looking at it from a pure scientific fundamental research perspective. We're now looking at true deployment scenarios. So how do we get the UK to scale up the ambition very, very quickly? The strategies that are being developed help that case. The market demand from businesses is going to help that case. And the fact that we have set out an overarching target in the UK that we want to be a global leader in hydrogen fuel cell technology. Because it's not, it's not just hydrogen fuel cells that's going to solve no, this, nothing it? at all. It's going to no. be a plethora of different uh, mm. technologies and innovations. So that's the, that's, the, that's the crux then. So when I look at innovation, um, or when, but when you think about innovation, I, I think about, um, I kind of box it into innovation as a business. Like, how does a business do innovation? But I think what's really fascinating about what you're saying is this is huge. Like this is bigger than this is the biggest thing we're going to deal with in our generation, like we said. Yeah. But at the same time, how do we then let that COP twenty twenty six yeah. uh, leadership conversation continue, like trickle down, if you will, 
into our um into our industries and that into our you know um, yeah. regional leadership um in government as well how do you go about bringing those people together and and actually aiming for you know the right the right things especially as presumably hydrogen fuel cells for you is directly competitive with uh, all the battery technology so from a business point of view you're kind of yeah yeah. It's seen it's seen by some of the you know some people you know you just have to look at Twitter and people love arguing about EVs versus hydrogen on Twitter. <laughs> I, I think they've tried to involve me in a couple of those arguments, and I'm just thinking it's not it's not it's really isn't the case because what is hydrogen solving? It's either solving a heat problem or it's solving a transportation problem. Now, if the electricity and gas companies have got together and recognised that hydrogen has a role to play, electricity has a role to play, I'm going to ignore those people with. Um, their Twitter experience and say, <laughs> I'm going to follow follow the science or follow the, the numbers. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. start with that. So in terms of cities and regions doing it, obviously, you know, I, with our focus hydrogen fuel cells, but when you take the skills agenda, we can't just sit there and say, what skills are required for hydrogen? We're leading, I'm leading the skills pathway for uh, our industrial cluster in the Northwest, net zero Northwest. The whole purpose of that piece of work is to bring together all of those companies, bring together all of those regions on what skills are required for net zero, which will include hydrogen, but it will equally include you know, other areas. So yeah. that then informs those businesses, gives them reassurance to say, these are the areas that I need to invest in for my people. So that's the skill problem sorted. It equally then brings forward uh, an opportunity for skills providers, universities, FE colleges to say, this is how I will adapt my existing course structure. There needs to be net zero literacy kind of involved, invoked with everyone, whether it's a student or it's a business or whether it's a local authority, because that affects investment decisions or it affects your future career pathway. That's the skills problem sorted. Then it's about how, how do cities and regions look at solving the problem? Well, we've got this five-year environment plan within Greater Manchester. We've now got supporting frameworks in place or supporting strategies in place that talk about the role of hydrogen. So there's a hydrogen fuel cell strategy for Greater Manchester, which says that part of the solution to get us to 2038 is going to be hydrogen, but equally it could be something else. There's a mm -hmm. smart systems plan that was developed which says you know if we're going to put all of this technology in place we need it to be run in a smart way so smart cities all sort of come into it this is where you you kind of look at this and say how do we effectively get there and what could we learn for the cities as well there's certain things around certain topics which other regions have done better than great manchester i think what they are because my way better everything in manchester but that's my view um <laughs> that's um They've, you know, on say that we, we all work together. You know, I was supported by London. We work together with Birmingham, Liverpool, London, other many other cities and regions, because a lot of projects in those cities and regions are started by the private sector. So they look for that city region support. And I think that's what you have to do in this area. If, if a lot of the owners, what is all of these strategies and um, plans by government effectively doing? Yes, there will be supported by uh, the government in terms of funding but ultimately it's down to the private sector who will make that major investment in these programs but the reassurance we need to give them the reassurance this is the technology areas that we will focus on in the uk 
this is the technology areas that we will develop in each cities and regions, they will then make that investment. And then that investment trickles down into areas like skills, it trickles down to areas like infrastructure, into R&D, and all of a sudden, the whole landscape's changed. So for me, that I can't, I can't cite enough, one of the biggest problems we've got is the communication problem. It's about making it real for people. What does it mean? There's, you know, I sit there on a, I sat there at my son's football game yesterday and there's a range of people, you know, whose kids are playing football and they're all in whatever jobs they're in. And you know, we were talking about yesterday, um, Tottenham and Chelsea was the first net zero football game that was ever uh, played. Uh-huh. They said, what does that effectively mean? Well, I said, well, it, you know, it's where they've, encourage people to cycle and they're putting on electric sort of coaches for people to get there. And it's about putting that, shining that light on that wider net zero agenda. That's a good thing, but it wasn't a good thing in the fact that they didn't understand it. So yeah. there's a problem. So they're almost seeing it as a, as a negative. And you know, I'm not sure what the parents of the son's football team, but they are effectively, even though it's been communicated, all they've heard, the first net zero football, someone who knows nothing about net zero, Saying it's the first net zero football thing doesn't mean anything. So it, it takes it's it to that word. one step. Yeah, it's a buzzword. Yeah. Hydrogen's become a buzzword. You know, fuel cells have become a buzzword. Make it real. Yeah. And make it to that point where people engage and it inspires those future conversations that need to take place to allow, to allow that real change to take place. That, that's, that's fascinating. That. So that communication problem, that to me sounds like it's ripe for innovation in itself. Obviously, you're you're very well you're very into the technology of hydrogen fuel cells. But would you um, partner with communication businesses out there? Absolutely, I think we have to. I think um, you know we're we're trying to sort of communicate so many things to people. You know, it's about making it real for people. So yeah. when we're trying to get people engaged with the technology, how do we do that? Well, if you're a, if you're a business and you know what area of research you want to do. We will help you, and you know, you, you know, you're, you. I'll say you know what you what you what you're doing there. But if we're then talking about how this technology can be used in the real world, then it's about getting people to engage in that technology. Now, yeah. a gas isn't exciting, is it? So hydrogen is a gas; it's not exciting. How do you get people infused about that technology? Fuel cell looks like a battery. You know, how do you get people infused about batteries and fuel cells? Well, you know, one of the the best sort of use case study I can give you is. First time I ever took a, um, a fuel cell generator into Manchester Central and I was surrounded by health and safety and risk assessments for about a week. <laughs> what did that? Because there was a, the problem was they didn't understand it. But as soon as they understood it, they That's loved fine. it. They loved it to the point where they wanted to now offer it as an opportunity for people wanting to power their stands in a different way or not power their stands from the grid. So it opens up the opportunities for festivals. It opens up the opportunity for, you look at when the elections happen, what's the biggest gripe people have when those little huts go next to your house or wherever you live? If there's a, uh, there's a noisy diesel generator which usually powers that, that building and people don't like it. We're looking to do a number of events which really shine light on how this technology can be used. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see the first fuel cell rave in the centre of Manchester or something like that that makes it real so yeah, yeah, yeah. you know we offered mobile phone charging and people were fascinated the fact that oh I'm charging my phone with hydrogen 
you're not, you're charging your phone with electricity that is being generated <laughs> by the hydrogen through that electrochemical reaction. But it got the message through. Yeah. Yeah. And people got it. And people got it. And that's what people want to hear. Is it going to make me money? Is it going to save me money? Is it going to save the environment that we live in? Yeah. I suppose. It. <laughs> but then what's the risk? <laughs> well, the risk is the risk is easy. Um, it's the risk of staying as we are versus the risk of um, well, it's the risk of what happens if we don't do anything. We're going to continue to get those floods. We're going to continue to get those uh, wildfires. Climate change is real, so I think that's been proven. And it's but people still don't recognise the potential impact of climate change on them as an individual. That's when it becomes real. So yeah. all of a sudden you're flooded, your house is flooded. That makes it real. Where's why is that happening? You know, we've lived in this area for 30 years. It never flooded before, but it started flooding now. That, that's making it real. Yeah. So then it's the then, you know, we with with talking about um, you know, the, the hole in the ozone lane is getting bigger. What if we don't do anything and that two degrees becomes three degrees and four degrees? Then it's a pandemic, then it's yeah. a problem, then it's We've got an opportunity to solve it, and the opportunity is now. And you can see, you know, people are getting more grips to um, with you know technology uh, deployments. And I can take this back to you know, forget even climate change. You people ad adopt to these things. When I was growing up, you look at the size of the TVs. In fact, you were we're for a, we're a similar age, I think, right? Look at the size of the TVs that way we used to watch. Um, look at the size of the TVs now. Yeah, yeah. So but yeah. look what happened. So when a plasma, first time I ever saw a plasma TV, it was 15, 20,000 pounds. They're not wearing nowhere near that now, are they? They're a few hundred pounds. So technology was was brought in, it was adopted, and people started to use it. Might be the, the wrong scenario to sort of cite, but then that happened with when people saw the first wind turbine, when people saw the first solar panel on people's houses. Why was the solar PV industry all of a sudden created in the UK? It was created because there was a subsidy for you to put those panels on your house. Those panels became more and more mainstream. And now you don't even look twice if you see a PV panel. When it first happened, everyone just look, what's that? Same thing with wind. Same thing we'll probably see with electrolyzers that make hydrogen. We just need to get people used to it. People generally don't like change. Absolutely. <laughs> it's making them, yeah, they generally don't like change. But it's like telling someone that yeah, their job role is changing in some way. The, the, the biggest impact they're going to have is, look, if, if it's already mandated that they're going to ban petrol and diesel vehicles, that those vehicles have millions of people in employment. That has to be replaced by something else. We're not saying we're getting rid of cars completely. We're just changing the, uh, the way cars are developed. So it's either electric or it's uh, through batteries or fuel cells. So we need a different um, mindset of the people developing the cars and a different mindset of the people servicing the cars absolutely and and set. i suppose that's where the innovation comes in right there and everything and innovation it, cuts across everything it's fascinating I, I i could speak to you like for another five six hours about yeah <laughs> i'm telling and it's fascinating. we should have a night out <laughs> yeah <laughs> one thing one thing i'm really interested in is innovation the innovation side of things and getting businesses to be innovative yeah. because businesses in my opinion, generally, not all businesses, but generally uh, don't uh, deliberately innovate. They, they think they'll accidentally innovate. 
Yeah. And this is why I wanted to have this podcast start that off. And yeah. that's my thing. But my the other side of what I'm trying to achieve is I want to make an impact mm. in the world. And I think the net zero issue is yeah. something where innovation really lends itself to that. It and it is fast, it's absolutely fascinating. And mm. it's just how, you know, it's it's such a big, it's a big problem. I mean, like <laughs> it's me and you aren't going to solve it on our own, but it's no. uh, it's just how no. it, it's fascinating. Helping it's really, it. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We've got to make we've got to have that impact and 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 you know see this the region thrive in doing it as well. But I always end the podcast on asking what three tips can you offer to people or organizations or nations uh, to be more innovative. Okay, I think from from my perspective, it's learn more about what is being done within your cities and regions because there's already some fantastic work going on. But we're so silo in our approach to life that we're just busy. Everyone's just busy. Um, but we've learned, you know, over the pandemic, we've learned new ways of working. And I think that's going to be here to change. Not That's going to be here now for a while. You know, we're working in this hybrid world and I think we've got a bit more time the time we were spending traveling and things, we can spend on learning more about the problem. Um, if you also want to be innovative in how is your life affected on a daily basis by all of these changes, rather than being forced upon you, maybe you need to learn about it now. And then I'd say the third point is there's so much legislation and mandation of so many of these areas that your business, if you're a business, that you will have to face. I think you need to learn more about this agenda and look at how there's, and again, I'll, I'll put that point across that there is so many different organizations that can help and support you here within this region. You know, we're here as universities, there's organizations like Elevate that support your, and I think that's quite key because getting people to understand and mapping all this out is a really, really tough job. And getting, the traction is how do we how do we develop this industry? You know, all of a sudden you start talking about something, you tell the friend, and then the friend tells you that they've got the same problem. You might be both CEOs of an organization, or you might be just workers of an organization. This is going to come down to you having to solve the problem in your job function, whatever that might be. Yeah. Before it becomes a problem for you, learn about it because. If you don't know about it, someone else will, and they're probably going to get the promotion. You're not. <laughs> not, yeah. not saying that that would be the problem, but learn about it because it's becoming an economy. Yeah. That's the best way I could kind of describe it. Um, or learn about it because this could be your future career. Yeah. So it's be proactive. Not reactive. you have to be proactive. Yeah. yeah. We can This is not a scenario to be reactive in anymore because the it's. You know, we look at the hydrogen strategy being released by the UK government and they said it's the most substantive hydrogen strategy they would like to think in globally. But, you know, Germany launched a hydrogen strategy. Many single, many regions across the world are now launching hydrogen strategies because they see hydrogen as a solution that they want to innovate in, but potentially lead in. I think we can here in the UK in the fact that we've got some natural assets that lend themselves to the hydrogen. And we were at the forefront, you know, of again, I'll mention it again, the industrial revolution, there's a lot of fantastic work. And the, the even from an R&D perspective, you know, the hydrogen strategy has been built on the research and development that has 
been developed here in the UK by the university sector or the research organizations or the private sector, there's something really big that can be built on this. This is just for hydrogen. Net zero affects everyone. So we all have to be innovative in this area because without it, without innovation, we're not going to solve it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's fantastic. No problem. And there, that, it's been an absolute pleasure to, oh, oh, to have James. this chat. <laughs> Thank you. That's and, good to you. But yeah, I appreciate all of that. I, I, yeah. And hopefully see you soon. That was the Elevate Innovation podcast with guest Amma Gaffar. Thank you very much for listening. Coming up next week, we have Jay Dunning, Innovation Lead at DWF Solicitors. He has a wealth of experience in innovation, creativity and design. Excited to have him on. Until then, I'm James Alcock. This is Elevate Innovation Podcast. Signing off.